0: The majority of the Thessalonian believers had been idolaters when they trusted Jesus. Intense persecution was seeking to snuff out their new life. Our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, invites us to look at the two letters Paul wrote to them that proclaim the fundamentals of survival, faith, love, and hope. It's called the greatest adventure story that's ever told. And the really good thing about this story is that it's a real story. And often you have adventure stories and you go to an adventure movie, but it's all just pretend. I'll never forget when I went to see that movie that Disney came out with about the horse, the big horse race across North Africa. What was it? Hidalgo, I think. And it turned out Mary and I got all excited. Man, we're going to go up, be able to go up to Oklahoma and see those Mustangs. I got on the internet after I saw the movie and found out that the The hero in the film probably never did ride a horse, hardly. It was all just pretend, and it was extrapolated beyond. So Mary and I had to cancel our trip to Ardmore, Oklahoma, and to see those horses. But there's a story that uh, Dr. Dobson really picked up on, and it's the story of Ernest Shackleton. Captain Shackleton left England in a ship called the Endurance. He had it built in Norway. It was built out of this just incredibly special wood, and they sailed down to Antarctica. Now back in the early 1900s, in fact, they sailed and just I guess so you'll have the time period They sailed on the day that World War I broke out. And they didn't know it, but their buddies were going to go and fight the Kaiser across the English Channel, but they were going to be fighting a much stronger enemy. They were going to be fighting cold and ice. And what happened uh, into their journey, they went down, they went to the whaling village, got their supplies. They headed toward Antarctica. Their goal was to take some sled dog teams and go all the way across Antarctica. This is like the moon exploration of our day. In, the, in this time period in history, they were fighting the North Pole. They were fighting the South Pole. And just like the United States and Russia raced to get a man on the moon, all the great nations of the world were racing to control Antarctica. And Shackleton's goal was to land on one side of the continent and take those sled dogs and with his team of about 28 men to go all the way across the continent of Antarctica. What happened was that they got iced in. And at first they thought it would be no big deal, that they would just sit it out a little bit. But then the ice began to crush their ship. And now they make ships that when they get caught in the ice, as the ice crushes in it pushes the ship up, kind of like a a ballast that kind of moves it up, and then the ship ends up on top of the ice. They didn't do that for this ship. So that as the ice is coming in, it's hard for you Texans to understand this, but where I lived in New York State, over the Christmas holidays, our lake would freeze. And if you were out there in a fishing boat, which a lot of my buddies would be fishing right to the last second, when the ice suddenly begins to freeze, you get caught, And it just crushes your boat. Like some people by mistake leave their boat docked and they don't pull it in for the winter. And that ice comes and the next spring when it all thaws, all we have is a bunch of splinters of the wooden boat. So Shackleton experienced at first his men are camping on this boat. The ice starts to break right through the wooden hull. They have to abandon the ship. And you really need to get this book. It's an incredible story. They live for five months on these ice floes. Incredible stories. Sea walruses come charging up out of the ice and just about devour them. You can't believe it, how these, they experience it. One guy has a heart attack and they have to take care of him. But for five months they live on these ice floes and they're pushing these, uh, like what I think of as a whale boat. They're, they're those ancient kind of rescue boats. When I was a kid at Word of Life, we used to have one of those and we had races. It had about 20 oars on the side. And that's the kind of boats they have, these little whale boats. And they're pushing it across the ice. They can't make much progress. Well, eventually, it begins to thaw a little bit, and they get some open water. In about three of these whale boats, he gets all these 28 men, and they start trying to reach civilization. I mean, it is cold. I mean, their clothes are wet when it warms up a little bit. Then their, their clothes freeze on them. In fact, when I read this story, I'm, my teeth are shattering, are chattering. You know, they're shattering, too. Eventually, they get on the back side of, the, of that part of the Antarctic Sea. They can't even navigate very well because it's always fogged over, and this is the day long before GPS is, so they can't get readings on the star very often. But finally, they get a reading, and they realize that they're hundreds of miles from the whaling village where they started out. So Ernest Shackleton decided that he would take his best sailors. He takes a couple guys... And they get in a whaling boat, and he leaves about 25 of his men on this beachhead. They're camped out against the rocks in this Antarctic frozen wilderness. They built these temporary shelters. I mean, the wind is howling. Like, I've been in the Adirondacks where the wind blows at night at about 30 miles an hour, and it's about a minus 25 degrees, not wind chill factor, but just straight up. That's kind of of blizzard and cold conditions these guys are facing. And they're huckering down. And Ernest Shackleton says, I will come back for you. I'm going to leave with these two other guys that we all agree these are the skilled sailors. They make a makeshift sail on this little whaling boat, and they head out into the Drake Sea, which is the worst ocean in the world. You've all seen the movie Perfect Storm with 100-foot waves in uh, the North Atlantic by the coast of Maine, this is just like that, only worse. And Shackleton, with these two guys, starts heading out into the Drake Sea, and these guys are huckered down, and he promises, I'm going to come back for you. And what those men needed as they waited week after week, it turned out to be months, they needed faith in Shackleton. In other words, as they're huckering down, you can imagine the conversations they had. You know, why did this guy sign us up? You know, look at the mess he got us into. But those group of 25 men, amazingly, they had faith in Shackleton. In fact, you need to read this story. There's great lessons on leadership. Shackleton's an idiot in his marriage. He's immoral. Uh, He's a great adventurer. But if you're ever in a pinch, I've asked several men, like special forces guys and people like that, they say, you know, if I'm in a pinch internationally, I want Winston Churchill. But if I ever am in a pinch in my personal life with a team of guys and we're facing absolute natural catastrophe, the man I want to lead us is Shackleton. And so they had faith in Shackleton. They're huckered down. The second thing they need to do is there's tremendous passion to tear each other apart. How many of you had trouble during the holidays? Be honest now. How many of you had troubles during the holiday getting along with your family after you were shut in a little bit? Or this past week? When you got a little bit of, of, of cold and you had to stay inside how many of you found after being inside with one another for about 24 hours you needed to get it? How many of you go for walks during your holiday season by yourself? Anybody do that? So you'll understand a little bit of the pressure. Can you imagine being with a group of guys week after week, month after month, in sub-zero temperatures, huckering down? One of the things they needed, not only faith and strength, them, but the second the thing they needed was love for one another. When you start making choices, our food's running out, you start deciding who you're going to kill first to eat. So it's very tense, okay? The third thing that you need is hope. If you've ever been in a situation that's so threatening where your life is on the line, you're going to quit. In fact, this group of guys, some of them are saying, no, is not ever going to come back. And a lot of the other people would say, yes, he is. We've gone through all those months together. Did he ever let us down? Did he ever not keep his word? And they start communicating back and forth. And amazingly, huckered down on that beachhead, they didn't devour each other, and they waited. They waited and they waited. Now, you might not realize it, but every one of you is facing that situation. You were huckered down on a deadly island or a deadly beachhead. Nobody gets off planet Earth alive. You're on a great adventure. The Lord has a great plan for you as you're here living on this beachhead called Earth, and it's called your life. And what's going to sustain you is faith, not in Shackleton, because Shackleton ended up, you know, I'll share with you the end of the story when I get done today, but Shackleton is not going to help you with the ultimate sailing journey you need to make. So Paul's challenge to us in First and 2 Thessalonians is you need to have faith in the Lord Jesus. Second of all, we need to have love for one another. As we're a huckered down in this life, one of the things that the evil one's going to attack is our love and our commitment to one another. And thirdly, Satan's going to really attack us to lose hope. I want you to open your Bible today at 1 and 2 Thessalonians because this is the earliest letter the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to a group of believers. It's on his second missionary journey. He'd been in Philippi, and that's where he got thrown in jail with Silas and faced incredible troubles. And now in 1 Thessalonians, uh, he's writing to another group of Gentile believers dominantly. I know that because he says, most of you turn to God from idols. We know from the book of Acts, chapter 16 that the Apostle Paul started his ministry in Thessaloniki. And I've got a friend, just so you'll know, this is real. Tassos Meharis, Tom Meharis, that's a pastor of Manhattan Bible Church, is from Salonika, or Thessaloniki, which is the modern city. In these days, it's, it was 200,000. If you went to visit Salonika today, it has about 70,000. But it's still a real city and a uh, prominent city in, uh, in Greece today. So you'll understand this is one of those cities that really stood the test of time. In Paul's day, it was the leading, uh, Roman city of that area of northern Greece. It was the city where there would be uh, government officials from Rome. Interesting enough, unlike Philippi, it didn't become a colony, which was a good thing because if you became a Roman colony, it meant that Roman soldiers would repopulate your city. All the retired Roman soldiers would come to your city. They would become the new elite ruling class. Thessaloniki has more of the old Greek culture. Because they sided with the right sides in the Roman civil wars, uh, Thessaloniki is still maintaining all of its native Greek culture and their aristocracy, their higher-ups, the nobles are still ruling the city. That'll give you a little feel for the city. When the Apostle Paul came from Philippi, he'd been thrown in jail. He got in trouble with the Roman authorities. It was an illicit getting thrown in jail. He made the Roman authorities come and actually declare that he and Silas were innocent. He just didn't walk out. He made them make an official statement. It opened the door for many years for fellow Christians to propagate the gospel. But Paul was discouraged, just like you're going to get discouraged. He'd been in jail. The Roman leaders were on his case. We know from the book of Acts, not so much from the book of First Thessalonians, but from Acts, we know that the Jewish religious leaders were constantly hounding him, so he had legalists after him. What I want you to see is that he comes into the city, it would have been easy for the Apostle Paul to stop sharing the gospel. How many of you have ever been discouraged in sharing the gospel? Anybody ever get discouraged? How many of you think the Apostle Paul never got discouraged? He always shared the gospel. See, that'll be discouraged to you because what I find in my life, like I went into the prisons. I went into Venus. Bill Bershears and I are working on through the years. We're going to get enough time that we can eventually rob a bank and we'll have all of our time put in. No, not really. But to be honest with you, I, I don't have a lot of like, I don't have a lot of exciting emotions. I want to go into prison again and share the gospel. So just to be really honest, emotionally on Thursday night when I go up there, to hear the talk, it even turned out that I knew the guy that gave the talk. He's a good friend of mine. I'm thinking, oh, man, I've already heard this all before. Anybody ever feel like that? And what a lot of you do, you don't do it. You stop going. You stop sharing the gospel. You get discouraged. And one of the first lessons I want you to learn from the book of First Thessalonians is that as Americans, you follow your feelings. If you don't feel right, you don't do it. And if you don't feel right... It doesn't happen, and that's the worst slavery you can ever be in because the Apostle Paul didn't feel right when he went to the Thessaloniki. He was discouraged. He had just faced all kinds of conflict because he shared the gospel. But he walks into Thessaloniki, and he goes to the synagogue, and he starts sharing Jesus as the Messiah. And that's what I want us to get excited about. And I want every one of you to start asking yourself, who are the unbelieving people that I'm networking with? Who are those people at work? Who are those friends at school that I can begin to ask them, is there something I can pray for with you and in your life? And start connecting with people. Do a lot of really good things that you can do with unbelievers. The Lord wants you to network throughout our culture. We're not going to reach our culture in this next generation by inviting them to come to church, although I want you to do that. And I need to do it. We need to get excited again. One of the things I'm really concerned about is Midlothian Bible Church has lost its passion to go. You're very comfortable. If I were to ask you, how many of you have reached out to unbelievers during this past week? How many of you shared the gospel? You see, you're comfortable. That's what starts to happen then is we start to be a closed family. And the Lord doesn't want us to be that. The Apostle Paul had this drive in his life that he, when he went into Thessaloniki, he shared the gospel. And you've noticed if you look at verse 4, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And this is the confidence that you can have. The Bible speaks that whenever you're sharing the gospel, you can be confident that eventually, as you keep sharing the gospel, you're going to have fertile ground, that there's going to be people that will respond, because the Bible teaches that we don't know who the Lord has chosen out. But one of the things that the Bible is really clear on is that after you've come to faith, you can look back and you can realize God selected me. And what that means is not that you feel that God's exclusive because God is his personality is a great mystery, but the way that the idea of the choosing of people's used in the Bible, it's used to motivate those that evangelize that it's not going to be in vain, that the Lord's going to powerfully work. And none of us know who those people are but it means that when I go into a prison or when I talk to people in the flow of everyday life, when I talk to those fellow soccer coaches that I'm working with, when I talk with those little league ball players that don't know the Lord Jesus, when I talk to construction workers that I'm working alongside of, I can be confident as I keep sharing the good news, eventually I'm going to find out that the Lord was working in some of their lives and he was choosing them. And that's what happens in Thessaloniki. The Apostle Paul was discouraged, but he shared the gospel anyhow. And he believed in the power of the gospel. And then he's able to say, he's able to give a report now, look what happened. He said that he had chosen you because our gospel, what revealed that some of the Thessalonians had been chosen was that when Paul shared the good news to them, it came to them not simply with words. We have great words there's probably not many church families across our culture in america that have better words we have great teachers through the years with words we have strong teaching whenever we do evaluations in our church we all come back hey yeah we have great teaching we have parable words but i want to share something with you words are not enough i know people that spend their whole life just with words The Apostle Paul didn't just have words. Look what he says in the next part of the verse. He says, We came not to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. What the Apostle Paul is saying is there was a combination. It was God's word that was united with the Spirit's power. And what happened is it produced tremendous conviction deep movements in people's lives. And I want us to get really burdened about that. I want you to begin to really pray that that's going to happen in our midst. Because there's a big difference between people that talk and people that have power upon them to really see a a building up of what the Lord Jesus wants to do. I want you to have courage again. I want you to believe, like when I first came to Midlothian, I didn't know anyone was saved. All I was doing is I met in small groups. A lot of you keep asking, like, I don't know what's wrong, and what do we do from here? What we need to do is is all of you need to be asking yourself, what does the Spirit of God want us to do? Like our small groups ministry. All that's happening now is exactly what happened when we started in some way. Mary and I were burdened. We wanted to teach the Word. A couple families wanted to get together to study the Word. We met, we taught them the Word, and we believed in the power of the gospel. We wanted to get into this book, and we wanted to live it. And we talked honestly about doing that. And some people came to those studies, and some people left. Some people laughed at us. Some people really responded to us. We'd build it up to about 25, and then we'd have six people that left. That's the way that it was. And that's going to happen throughout this church family right now as the holy spirit begins to work it's exactly the same kind of a thing only there needs to be so we're not you know duplicating one another some good coordination but i want you to understand that that's what's going to make this thing come alive for you is to start thinking and brainstorming how can i reach out to my neighborhood what are some things i can do to connect with unbelievers where can i get connected with unbelieving people that's what Paul was doing. Paul went into Thessaloniki, and the people that were interested in spiritual things were in the synagogue. So he started there. And then when they threw him out of the synagogue, then he would go into a home. Then he invited people to come there. And that's basically what we did right here in Middleothian. And the Spirit was upon it. One of the things you need to ask yourself is, is the Spirit upon you? I'm asking myself that this morning. You see, it can't just be words this morning. It has to be more than that. And what starts to happen to a group of believers, they start saying oh, the structure's wrong. It's not an organized right. The issue is, is the power of the Spirit upon what we're doing? And if not, how have I grieved Him? How have I discouraged Him? Maybe how have I quenched Him? And the Lord wants all of us to ask that. You see, the Holy Spirit needs to be upon what we're doing. And, and the Apostle Paul wasn't a very good speaker, to be honest with you guys. He was a great writer, not a very good speaker. But what did the Apostle Paul have? When the Apostle Paul went into a village or a city and he presented the gospel, when he did it over a few months, in this case, probably not more than a few weeks, people were born again. And it wasn't because he was a good speaker. It wasn't because he had a great purpose-driven life. As good as that is, he had Jesus. And he had the Spirit in his life. And he knew the gospel. Christ died for sins. He rose again. And Christ is coming back again. And he taught people that. And people responded. And their lives were changed. Conviction came upon people. And that's what he's describing. He's saying, he said, I know that the Holy Spirit worked among you. And by the way, that's the fun of it. I want you all to be in prayer, that you think through the Holy Spirit. How are you using me? And where are you working? And how do you want to work? What happens when a group of people believe that? And they don't just think of the gospel as a group of words, but they think of it as a tremendous union of God's Spirit really coming into people's lives. Paul said that the gospel rang out, through the whole area where they were living. Notice what he says here. He says, And you welcomed the message with a joy given by the Holy Spirit, and you became a model to all the believers all over Macedonia and Achaia. That's northern Greece and southern Greece. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith became known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything to you about that. Because we've gotten this tremendous report. There's a tremendous spontaneity in what's happening in the Thessalonican church. So one of the very first things I want you to understand is that they had faith in the good news. They had faith in the power of their message, and I want to encourage you in that. I want to bless you in that. As a kid, see, I was raised with an evangelist, and one thing when you're raised with an evangelist is they're always telling you about unbelievers, that they're reaching for Christ, and if you're not necessarily gifted in the spirit like they are, you can get discouraged, but you can also fight against it a little bit. Because you say, well, I'm a teacher. I'm not into that. I want all of you to understand that the gifts of the Spirit, yeah, there's going to be some teachers. But if you're a good teacher and I put a good gospel passage before you, if you can't get the gospel across the cross very clearly and have the Spirit anoint you to touch lives, then there's something wrong with you. That makes sense? Don't make those kind of dichotomies too quick. But all I want to share with you, having been raised with an evangelist where people were always getting born again, I just kind of took it for granted. But as I'd grown older, the power of the gospel and the goodness of the gospel and what the gospel does to change lives. The chaplain down at Venus Prison, as I was in there on Friday, during one of the breaks, we started talking. He looked at my name. Not many Wurtzons running. He said, are you related to Jack Wurtzons? said, yeah. He said, I know your dad. The Lord really used him in my life. He said, are, is Donald Wurtzons related to you? And the chaplain has a great singing voice. He said, man, the Lord, is, I've sung a ton of your brother's music that brings great glory to the Lord Jesus. And I started thinking, the Lord used my dad to motivate this young man who's now an older man like me. And when we go into the Venus prison, like going into different prisons, it's totally different to go into Venus. I mean, it's bad, but it's not nearly as bad, like, for example, as the walls down in Huntsville. That chaplain, as an evangelical chaplain, for many years now has been opening the doors for us to go. You know when I stop to think, here I am in Texas, in Venus, Texas, and the gospel reached through my dad's ministry, and it's being multiplied. That's what I covet for every one of you. If you're older in the faith, Thessalonians says, do you have faith in the good news? Faith enough to keep sharing it. Faith enough to constantly have it on your heart. The second thing that Thessalonians has was love for one another. And I can just wet your appetite. And by the way, like the the theme verse right here, let me read it for you. It's in verse 3. It says, we continually remember before God. And notice the stress on God the Father and our Father Your work produced by faith. I I mentioned God the Father because I don't want you to feel distant to the first person of the Trinity. We continue to remember you before God and Father. Your work produced by faith. And this is what all the book is about. And these themes will be weaved back and forth. Your working faith. That's what I've been talking about. Everything I've told you about this morning has been Paul's theme of the working faith. Your labor produced by love. I don't think Paul changes the word for work. I think it's just a cinnamon. It means it is a different Greek word, but I don't think Paul's making a big deal about it. What he's saying is, I'm rejoicing, I see a faith that produces work, I see a love that produces labor, and I see an endurance. What enabled you to do this year after year after year, and it is your hope. And as you're studying the book of first and second Thessalonians, What I want you to see is the Apostle Paul, kind of like a musician, he weaves those themes in and out. And he'll talk about the faith of the Thessalonians. He'll talk about his own faith. And that's basically a commitment to the gospel. The second thing he does is he talks about relationships that they have together. For example, in chapter 2, he talks about the fact that he was like a a nursing mother, that he had that kind of tenderness. He was like a a father. There's a great verse for some of you dads. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. You say, why in Midlothian Bible Church do you keep talking about leaders being like fathers, being like big brothers? This is why. Because our leadership is to be patterned not after a, a real powerful charismatic political figure, for example. But it's to be patterned after a good daddy. Look what he says. For each of you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. As a pastor teacher, I need to deal with you like a father deals with children. It says, what do we do when we're good fathers? We encourage. I need to encourage you. And all of our leaders need to encourage you. And as daddies, I want to ask you, like, one of the things I learned from this, am I encouraging my sons and my daughter? Am I an encourager? Am I a comforter? When my kids think of me, do they think of me as being the source of comfort for them? And finally, do I urge them to live a life worthy of God? Fathers, if you don't get anything from what I've taught you this morning, I challenge every one of you dedicated to take that verse, and you ask yourself this week, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to be an encourager with my kids. I want to be a comforter with my kids. And by the way, that doesn't end when they get old. When my son Joel called me, like I was at a gathering the other night, Mary got on me about this. I was at a gathering, somebody invited us over to eat, and my son Joel hadn't called me in two weeks. And I, I left the room, and I went and talked to him about a half an hour. And she said, how could you be so, you know, you shouldn't do that. And she was right, I was very rude, but I, I knew the guy whose house I was with, and he wouldn't care. You say, Dave, why did you do that? Because Joel's my son. When he calls, daddy listens. And I told her that. I said, honey, you, uh, you're right. I was very impolite. But I did say to the guy, I'm sorry. In fact, he even laughed and said, well, now you're going to have Josh call you, and I'm going to lose you the rest of the night. <laughs> I want you to do that. Every one of you dads, I want every one of you guys to have a, the joy of when your sons are adults, that they'll call you. Jonathan shot the bull with me from Morocco for two hours when I was trying to get my study clean for the once-a-year cleaning. When the leaders come to eat at our house And it takes bulldozers to get it ready And Mary was coming in Constantly looking at me going She finally got me the mobile phone That doesn't have a wire on it So I can move around while I'm doing it That is a priceless time guys And you're going to get that If you encourage them If you comfort them One of the things that Mary is excellent To keep reminding me of this Keep challenging them To live as Paul says right here A life that's worthy of God with the calling of calling them into his kingdom and his glory. So that love flows from our father-son relationship, our mother-daughter relationship, mother-son relationship, and then the relationship the Lord builds here. And so as you're doing your study, you can go through the book of Thessalonians and look for what Paul says about this love that works. And it's something I want you to really pray about. Like, I'm praying that my heart will expand. To be honest with you, when I first came to Midlothian, I really needed that small group Bible study. Now, to be honest with you, most of the time I'm saying, I just want to go into the bathroom and lock the door because that's the one place I don't have to hear the phone. And that's okay. I need to, I'd say, Lord, help me not to be like that. Help me to want to reach out to new people. I want you all to pray that. The final thing the Apostle Paul talked about is Hope that produces endurance. In 1 Thessalonians, so you'll look at the book, you've all read it at funerals, but chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians deals with a crucial issue. The Thessalonians were so excited about Jesus coming back, and they thought it was going to happen so quickly that when some of their members died, they thought they missed it. And I want you to stop and think of it. In fact, the point of 1 Thessalonians 4 is not for you to come up with a prophetic calendar. And to try to map out all the ins and outs of whether the Lord comes pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. To be honest with you, First Thessalonians doesn't really totally answer that question. And that's why we fight over it. Because I don't think there's a quite enough information to totally nail it down. But what there is information to nail down is that the early church expected Jesus to come back. Do you? Like this week... Have you been saying, this could be the day? I told you about my dad sharing the gospel with you. My dad lived every moment of his life. I'd say, Dad, you really need to get ready. You know, be sure you get things planned out for your family. He said, there's not going to be a funeral. I'm going home with the Lord Jesus. My dad lived like that. He taught me to live like that. The early church, Maranatha means the Lord's coming. When they met each other, and that'd be a neat thing for us to rekindle. When they met one another, rather than saying, hi, how you doing? They said, Maranatha. And the Romans didn't quite know what they were saying, because it's kind of a Hebrew word. They also said, anathema, may our enemies be cursed. (laughs) Because they were under tremendous persecution. And that's another heartbeat of this book I need to get across. And that's one of the things that happened. They were facing opposition from the Roman culture, opposition from the Jewish legalistic culture, and it made them bond together. And they had hope that in the end there would be justice. And there could be love right now because they could be absolutely confident that no matter how many jobs they lost, no matter how many... Family members were thrown into jail, and they lost their life. In the end, Jesus was coming back. And so 1 Thessalonians 4 deals with the issue. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And Paul assures him, those that have died in Jesus aren't going to miss out when Jesus comes back. When he comes back for the rapture, they'll go first, and you'll be caught together with them. Like, I'll see my dad. That I talked about it the other day. The very first thing that will happen when I am raised at the rapture, if the Lord comes back in the next few minutes is I'll be with my mom and dad again. Mary will be with her dad. And mom will be reunited with art. And, and on and on it goes. All the reunions will take place. And then we'll all see the Lord together. And the important thing about the hope is forever we'll be with the Lord Jesus. If I don't care if you're from a Reformed Presbyterian background. I don't care if you're from a Roman Catholic background. I don't care if you follow Augustine or you don't even know who Augustine is. I want you to comfort one another. It's an incredible truth that our Savior that was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, just as certainly as he was born out of the womb of Mary, he's coming back again. Amen? And I think believers in America have lost that. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 answers the question, not will our loved ones that have died miss out on it. Chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians says, Had it already happened and we're living in the midst of the day of the Lord... And therefore, we missed out because the Lord's already come back and it was some kind of a spiritual coming. And 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, no, you haven't missed it yet because the Antichrist is going to be revealed and there's several things that will happen and he's saying, you haven't missed out because the Lord Jesus, when he comes, you're not going to miss it. And it's going to be a very powerful, exciting, wondrous thing. That's what 2 Thessalonians 2 is. Let me end my story and we're done. Did Shackleton make it? Was it worth it? amazing thing is he made it it to the back side of that island where the whaling village was. And he, with his couple men, he got ropes that they had on their boat. They made it through those 100-foot waves, which is an incredible story. But they needed to get to the other side. They couldn't sail around because if they sailed around the, the north side of the island, the wind would blow them right past, and they would be gone. They would be dead, and their men would be dead. So they landed on the, 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 the lee side of the island in the calm of the wind. They hiked up over a range of mountains. They came down the backside, and they couldn't really see where they were going. They tried several ways to get down, and they said "Fooey on it. They just sat on their butts, and they just let themselves slide. And by the grace of God, they slid down into their encampment. And they had beards that had grown for more than a year. They hadn't changed their clothes in a year. And the people that saw them almost ran away. The miracle of the story is that the little kids that saw them when they walked in the village didn't try to kill them or something. And Shacklin began to get people ready to go back. And he got a ship ready. They went back, but they couldn't get through. And the guy in the ship said, oh, we need it's just no use. It's just a miracle that you were saved. He went back again. Because he was faithful. You could count on him. He, he, he kept telling the guy in the ship, I gave my word to my men, I'm coming back. And everybody else in the ship was saying, you can't get through, Ernest. You cannot get through, Captain Shangleton." He said, yes, I can. Because I promised. And those men on that little beachhead, waiting month after month after month, suddenly they looked out into that sea, and it warmed up just enough and they saw their captain's ship. Brother and sisters, Shackleton got every single man that left with him at the beginning of World War I, 28 men, even the guy that had a heart attack. Every one of those men he brought safely home. So those men were right. They could trust their commander. They were right to keep building love for one another, and their hope that made him endure, wasn't misguided. Shackleton came back about a year after that expedition and died in the whaling village of a heart attack. Can you imagine that? But Jesus, the Savior I have told you about today, you got your faith in him, do you? If you have your faith in him, it's going to prove one day, boy, that I put my faith in a commander, a captain that can keep his word. Do we need to love each other? Yes. We need to stick together because our captain is coming back. And that could be the day. And that's when a hope will be sight. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to really ask you, Lord, that the same Holy Spirit that took the weakness of the Apostle Paul's teaching and his emotional vulnerability, but you breathed through it and a new church was born. Lord, we can't make this happen. I, I praise you, Lord, for the skillful plans that Paul did have. I thank you, Lord, for all the, the, the really gifted um, planners that you've given to us. We love that. I also thank you for the really practical people that you've given us. And I just ask you, Lord Jesus, that just like uh, Paul was able to say to the Thessalonians, that when they heard your words, it was, it was power that was among them. And I want to ask you, Lord, that as I close here today, that the power of your Holy Spirit would just be beginning to drive home these foundational principles of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love for one another based upon the fact that Jesus Christ has made us brothers and sisters. And endurance that will take us all the way through a whole lifetime because we never lose sight of the fact that at any moment Jesus could come back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at truthencounter.com. Box five eight zero Midlothian, Texas seven six zero six five, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. dot dot com. Our telephone number is one eight 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 six 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 eight seven eight eight four box 580 midlothian texas 76065 or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com our telephone number is 18886687884